Stunt actor and wilderness adventurer Alice Ford has had a long and evolving relationship with fear. An all-star gymnast, athlete, track and field runner, and diver, Ford's life path came to a dead end one day after she gave up her prestigious athletic scholarship from the University of Vermont and moved to the University of Arizona to escape the cold. But she wound up getting a whole lot of heat instead from a drug cartel tied to her then-boyfriend who was dealing drugs. It was right after Valentine's Day. And I was just home alone with my dog eating a box of chocolates in my kitchen when all of a sudden I saw some people coming into my living room through my patio door. And my first thought was that it was one of the roommates. We had one roommate at the time. And I thought, oh, what's he doing coming in the door back there? And then I quickly realized, oh, he's also wearing a ski mask. And there's also four of them and they have guns. So quickly realized that it was not anyone friendly or anyone that I knew screamed at the top of my lungs. They basically pistol whipped my dog. They ushered me into another room, told me to keep my dog quiet or that they would shoot her while they ran around my house looking for drugs or money, or I guess I'm not really sure what they were looking for in particular. Hello everyone, this is When It Mattered. I'm Chitra Raghavan. Ford escaped unharmed, but it took that and several other wake-up calls to get her life on track and get back in touch with her athleticism and gymnastics roots to build a successful career in the world of stunt acting. Today, Ford is one of the industry's most up-and-coming female leads, working with directors such as Michael Bay in action-packed movies including Transformers, Age of Extinction. Ford is also producing and starring in an upcoming television series, Alice Ford's World Heritage Adventures, and she also stars in her own YouTube channel called Alice's Adventures, where she hosts travel videos from her many adventures around the globe. Alice, welcome to When It Mattered. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk to everyone about overcoming fear. Yes, and what a story it is. I couldn't believe what you were telling me when we were chatting a few weeks ago, how you went from being a fearful young adult to becoming a fearless stunt actor and wilderness guru. That is quite an amazing journey, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. And it's it's so funny because talking to you and then just thinking about kind of the the path I've taken, I guess, and thinking about how afraid I was of so many things in my early 20s and to just see that evolution of where I've come from there to now is quite phenomenal. And it's something that anyone can do if I was able to do it. Well, that would include me because I'm afraid of a lot of things, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to explore that journey, but I want to start with that moment in your house in Arizona when you were confronted by no less than a members of a drug cartel so tell me how that happened. How did you wind up from going to Arizona? And then what happened that day? Yeah, so I had transferred colleges, moved across the country, and was in a place where I just knew no one. I moved there in the beginning of the summer to kind of get acclimated, I guess. But the people that I met weren't people that I went to school with, and they just weren't really the right people that I should have been engaging with at that time in my life. Um, I think I was a bit naive and a bit of a pushover at that point in my life and really just made friendships with the wrong people. I started dating a guy who was involved with dealing drugs and marijuana. And um, through the people that he met, he got himself into some trouble and 
at the end of the day, me in trouble because I was associated with him. So it was right after Valentine's Day. And I was just home alone with my dog eating a box of chocolates in my kitchen. When all of a sudden I saw some people coming into my living room through my patio door. And my first thought was that it was one of the roommates. We had one roommate at the time. And I thought, oh, what's he doing coming in the door back there? And then I quickly realized, oh, he's also wearing a ski mask. And there's also four of them and they have guns. So quickly realized that it was not anyone friendly or anyone that I knew screamed at the top of my lungs. They basically pistol whipped my dog. They ushered me into another room, told me to keep my dog quiet or that they would shoot her while they ran around my house looking for drugs or money, or I guess I'm not really sure what what they were looking for in particular. When they felt like they had run out of time, they started to leave. But at that point, I there was a, a possession in my house that was very near and dear to me, which looking back, probably stupid that I went to try and get it. But it was a wallet that my grandmother had given to me when I was maybe 12. And it was sitting on my living room pool table. And I really wanted to make sure that they didn't take it. So I kind of like stupidly decided to get out of the room that I was in and go try to get it before they did. And when that happened, they grabbed me, dislocated my shoulder, kind of beat me up and were talking about killing me. But I think they realized that it was also only 8 p.m. and that if they stayed any longer in my house, someone was going to call the police, one of my neighbors. So they got in their car and drove away and I survived. (laughs) How badly hurt were you? Um, I had dislocated my shoulder. Other than that, just some bumps and bruises. So not too terribly hurt, obviously terrified. Didn't know why the people had come, didn't know who they were associated or who they were looking for. Obviously my boyfriend nor my roommate had been home at the time. I don't know if they were expecting anyone to be home or if they were expecting him to be home. I mean, it's hard to know that at all. What happened next? Yeah. So the next thing I did was I called my boyfriend and I said, Hey, this just happened. You know, what do I do? And he said, well, you can't call the police because I could get deported. He was uh, just a, a U.S. resident, not a citizen. So he was afraid of basically getting sent back to Mexico. So he said, meet me down the street, bring the dog, obviously, who was also terrified. And uh, we'll go stay at a friend's house. And I said, okay. So we went and stayed at a friend's house that night. But then, of course, he wouldn't come back to our house. The next night I had to stay there alone. And so that first night back in the house was terrifying. I mean, anytime the wind blew or there was a, a creek or a crack or something of that nature. I mean, I was just, I was extremely scared of anything. Um, Obviously that relationship ended, (laughs) thankfully. (laughs) I was just just gonna say, look, first of all, it was a terrible Valentine's Day gift. Yeah. (laughs) People in ski masks come to your house. Then he refuses to come to the house and asks you to meet him somewhere else. But then he refuses to sleep in the house. You got into this because of him. And then he 
refuses to come and support you. So yeah. I'm really glad that you realized that this was not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah. So, I mean, I immediately had just this taste of, okay, well, you probably have PTSD from this, but you have to get over it. Otherwise you're not going to be able to survive. You know, you have to move. I have to move on with my life and I don't have anyone here to take care of me. So the only way for me to get over my fear is to just sit in it and hope that I can get through the night. And so I had to do that for many, many, many nights. That is pretty crazy. Yeah. You're incredibly lucky to to be alive and to actually be Absolutely. telling me this story. Yeah. So I want to circle back, you know, if this was sort of probably one of the peak moments of fear in your life, but you grew up as a young child having a lot of fears about different things. And let's talk about where you grew up and, you know, a lot of your fears, but also your joys came from your relationship with nature. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and your relationship with nature and the good and the bad. Yes. So I grew up in a very small town in New Hampshire called Center Sandwich. We had about a thousand people that live there, I think probably in the summertime. <laughs> and uh, beautiful area. We had about 40 acres. So our property had forest, very deep forest, uh, river, swamps. Uh, we had a pond and we had meadows and, and uh, a lot of wildlife. And we hiked a lot. We explored the woods a lot. We also had a lake nearby that we would spend time on regardless of the season, whether it was ice skating or swimming. And my father was a huge conservationist, a huge forester, always instilled his love and admiration for nature with me and was also very knowledgeable. So I grew up really learning about different plants and animals and medicinal properties and different things as well. Um, I also had an older sister and we grew up the first eight years of our life in what I like to describe as a haunted house. <laughs> <laughs> and then we we moved into a different house on the same property that my dad built. But my sister was really good at being the uh, scary older sister and making sure that I was always really afraid of, you know, the bumps in the night and uh, what was in the woods as soon as the sun went down. Uh, and uh, she also did that with when we were swimming. I really did not like fish biting my feet. So she would make sure to always go and find mussels or clams or something she could break open and feed the fish with when we were swimming. <laughs> And so she really helped instill these like fears of a lot of things uh, in nature when I was a small child. Uh, but I also love nature. And so when I became an adult and started, you know, exploring more of the world, I still had these deep rooted fears from my childhood of like, what's going on in the dark where I can't see or what's down below my feet in the bottom of this lake or the bottom of this ocean show. So I really had to work hard at overcoming a lot of these things that were instilled in my childhood, even though I loved wildlife and nature so much. Have you forgiven your sister for all of those fears that she instilled in you? <laughs> I think so. I still joke about it with her, though. <laughs> But your father also taught you in some ways to be fearless, right? You you were telling me that you went rafting with a friend when you were 13 and you, you were by yourselves. 
tell us about that story. Yeah. So my dad, he was a fearless man and he was a mountaineer. He did all these crazy things in his upbringing and in his twenties and thirties. And he was very much open with me and my sister, I guess, about just exploring and having adventures and was also very hands off, I guess, when it came to letting us go and explore and have our own childhood adventures. Yeah. So the story that I told you was about my best friend and I, Megan. And one day we were like, you know what, we should go whitewater rafting. (laughs) And there was a river in my my backyard, like a, a little ways back, maybe half a mile to a mile. So my dad said, okay, well, I'll get you guys a raft and uh, I'll inflate it. And I'm going to, you know, when you guys are at school, I'll take it down to the river through the woods on this pretty long trail. And I'm going to tie it to a tree. And when you guys want to go, it's just going to be down there. So just, you know, head on out into the woods and have a good time. (laughs) So we did exactly that. I think on some Saturday we were like, all right, cool. Like, you know, we'll see you guys when we see you. And uh, we headed off into the woods, down some trails. My dad had spent several years cutting trails on our property down to the river. So we headed off down there. We grabbed the boat when we got to the river and headed off on a whitewater rafting adventure. And (laughs) it was really funny because the river was not super high and our boat also started deflating like I'm sure a raccoon chewed on it when it was out (laughs) in the woods or something so by the time we got you know a couple miles down the river our boat was like basically sinking (laughs) my friend had like fallen out gotten stuck in the mud in this pond it was a it was an adventure and uh, I think it's really important for children and you know young teens to be able to have these adventures I think it doesn't happen very often anymore for kids of this day and age and I really am thankful to my father for letting us just have that ability to be able to go off and explore and luckily he had instilled in me all of the skills from you know the days I could start walking about how to be out in the woods. I was very familiar with our river, with the woods behind our house, and with the directions of where our home existed. So when we got to basically this pond in this section of the river, I knew exactly how to get home from there through the woods. So I don't think that my dad really had to worry that much in us making it back. (laughs) And luckily my friend's parents were pretty similar in their ideals of the wilderness. And I think had instilled in my best friend at that time, those kind of same beliefs. That's amazing. And and in addition to all of these skills you had adapting to wilderness, you also were highly athletic in school and all the way into college. Uh, What types of sports did you do And what were the kinds of pursuits you had in school and college? Yeah, I loved sports. I loved competing. I was a competitive gymnast. I also competed in track and field. Um, I did compete in skiing for one season as well and tried out various other sports. But gymnastics and track and field were my two main 
sports that I competed in from the age of eight to throughout the end of college. And in college, I also competed on the diving team um, in springboard diving as well. So that was my first two years of college. And in college, I also ran a marathon. So I've always just, it's always been, what can I compete in next? So I just love athletics and competing in different various, uh, various things, I guess. Always the underachiever, right? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) So when you went to the University of Arizona, though, when you transferred out, you kind of didn't do a lot of sports for a little bit, right? When you were starting to kind of veer off into that, the crazy crowd. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when I transferred, my plan was to try to walk on to the diving team and the gymnastics team. And I started practicing with the diving team. And unfortunately, I had kind of like a health condition that was making me really dizzy a lot of the times. And so it was making it really difficult for me to practice uh, in diving. And and then I was working, which I hadn't done at my previous school as much. Um, so I was working a lot and then school was more expensive and I was living off campus and yeah, so there were just, and then I was in with this wrong crowd. So there was a lot of things that were pulling me away from athletics. And I think that it was when that happened that I really kind of lost my sense of who I was because that had been my whole life up until that point was competing and practicing and being on a team. And so when I didn't have that, I think that's kind of what led me into being with the wrong people in my life. So then this happens with the drug dealers coming in and you you escape unharmed. Your boyfriend turns out to be a real loser. You dump him. What happens after that? Yeah. So after that, I did not get back into college sports, but I did start actually competing in pole vaulting again with a, just like a private coach who had a pole vaulting club. And then I also trained to run a marathon at that time. I ended up getting an internship for a company called Vitamin Water. You might've heard of it. And just trying to get kind of everything back on track and focus on working, making money and not not going down that same path of uh of hanging out with people like my ex-boyfriend and yeah i mean that was a time in my life where i was just kind of a workaholic outside of school um uh, but at the same time i was really struggling with you know still being quite afraid of the night really you know i lived alone and when i first moved into the house I lived in after that experience, I think I slept on the couch for at least the first month because I was afraid to even go into the hallway with the bedrooms at night because it just creeped me out. <laughs> so it took a really long time for me to get over the fear of living in a in a place by myself and not being afraid really of somebody coming in. Yeah. So you did have PTSD of some kind, right? Mm, yeah. So so you worked at Vitamin Water, you got your master's in environmental management, and then you still cycled through like a few boyfriends and cycled through a few states before you landed, I guess, in New Orleans, correct? 
Yes. Yeah. So let's see. So from vitamin water, I actually, from my internship with them, was offered a full-time position when I graduated college. And a couple of years into that, our company was bought by Coca-Cola. The boyfriend I was with at that time, we wanted to own a bar. So we moved to Georgia, uh, opened two different bars, but I ended up moving to the Bahamas to take a job in hospitality. And then after a year of that, <laughs> moved to New Orleans. And that's kind of where I got into film and television and got into being a stunt woman as well. How did that happen? I feel like my life has just been a series of convenient, random opportunities. <laughs> I started working as a, a host for a hospital and did these little like health snippets that like were on the television screens at the gas stations. And then I eventually started working as an extra on movies and talked to a lot of people on set, obviously had a lot of friends that I met doing that. Um, I met a locations manager at one point and he was like, oh, have you ever thought about being a stunt woman? Because everyone at that time knew I pole vaulted. And I, at the time was trying to make the Olympic trials for pole vaulting. So that was kind of my whole life at that point was working as much as I could to pay the bills, but also pole vaulting and practicing and training at least twice a day with different workouts and things. So people that knew me knew that. And at some point someone suggested that I should look into being a stunt woman, which I had no idea what it was at the time. And through a series of kind of random events that summer, I was in Europe working at a big art festival and ended up meeting someone else that was part of our exhibit that was a, an ex-Olympic gymnast. He was working on a television show in Los Angeles about gymnastics. And he was said basically, oh, well, if they ever cast this show again, I can send your information in if you can still tumble and things like that. And I said, oh, amazing. Not thinking anyone would ever come through and actually do what they said they would. But lo and behold, a few months later, he called and said, hey, the show is casting gymnasts. And if you can send in a tape and I'll, you know, make sure it goes to the right person. So I said, okay. So I made a tape of my gymnastics and sent it in. And I got a call to come out to LA and work on Make It or Break It. And that was my first stunt job. And then you met Garrett Warren, who is one of Hollywood's most noted stunt actors, who's actually been on the show and uh, introduced me to you. And I'll, I'll link to his episode as well when we air this podcast. So you met with Garrett. How did you meet him? And how did that re result in you uh, being in more of the stunt world? Yes. So I was still pole vaulting at the time. So I came out to work on Make It or Break It. And I got a call from a friend of mine that said, hey, I have this friend, Garrett Warren, and he is a really fantastic stunt coordinator and stunt man. And he is making a spec commercial for Adidas and he's looking for all these different kinds of athletes. And I thought maybe you could pole vault in his commercial. And I thought, oh my gosh, yeah, absolutely. So I got in touch with Garrett. I had him come down to one of the tracks that I was practicing at at the time. And he came and filmed me pole vaulting for half a day, I think. 
And that is the first time I met Garrett. So at the time I had only worked one stunt job and didn't have a ton of experience, but he came out and saw me doing my kind of athletic profession at that time and said, you know what, I'm taking a big movie in a couple months. And if we have a spot that you'll fit into body wise, I'll definitely bring you out for a little bit. And I said, amazing. Um, and he ended up doing that. And so I got to work with him on Ender's Game. And, you know, I've worked this past year with Garrett a couple of times. And it's so fun to be able to work with him now that I'm a lot more experienced and a lot more established in my career. And it's it's awesome to kind of just see it full circle to be able to have worked with him when I was just getting into the business. And now, you know, 10, 12 years later when we both have had so much success over the last decade. It's pretty cool. So when he was uh, talking about you on the podcast, he described you as an old school stunt woman, stunt actor. What does that mean, by the way, when you're an old school stunt actor? Does that mean getting hurt <laughs> a hell of a lot or what? <laughs> um, maybe a little. I mean, hopefully not. But I think I think the old school mentality is just that you know, our job is really hard. And sure, a lot of people try to make it easier. But at the end of the day, like, sometimes you just have to go for stuff. Sometimes you just have to completely like, sell out. And hopefully people know what I mean by that. But um, just really put all your energy into making this one hit or this one jump or fall or whatever it is like look absolutely fantastic even though you know in the back of your mind it's gonna hurt like hell <laughs> um and you know Garrett is a man that really respects people that can see that the art of that um and that to me is like the old school approach because as we've gotten more advanced in what's available for mechanical things and visual effects and all these other things being a stunt man or woman in some sense has become a lot easier because we have a lot more safety mechanisms we have a lot more ways now to make things look better than they actually are <laughs> I think coming from being a gymnast I always wanted to as a gymnast do the most dangerous, hardest, coolest tricks. I didn't want to necessarily do the easy thing and make it look perfect. I would rather do the most kick-ass, hard skill and like barely land it than do the easy thing and make it perfect, if that makes sense. So yeah. I think I have that same mentality now. And, you know, even when I was getting into stunts, there are so many things that you have to learn. And a lot of people are too afraid to really go for things and try new skills, especially as an adult, it's a little bit obviously harder to kind of like put yourself in that mindset. And so I think that because I had this athletic career of wanting to always do the harder, more advanced thing. It's put me in this place where I can say, okay, I know that this is going to suck, 
but the end result is going to be amazing. You know, and Garrett and I did a movie last summer in Mexico and I had to do a stunt that was definitely going to hurt a lot. But at the end of it, when you hear the director, like just exuberantly loving how amazing the shot looks, it's all worth it. Tell us a couple of your favorite, two or three of your most dangerous and favorite stunts that you've done. Maybe they weren't favorite because they were so dangerous, but (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll leave you to it. Mm, Yeah, I feel like this is always a hard one for me to answer. Um, for, For me, I love doing wire work. There's some scenes on Transformers 4 that were really fun where we were suspended really, really high above the ground on wires, um, simulating basically a cables strung between two buildings and having to walk on those, fall on those and dangle on those. So that was a fun one. During COVID, I did a, a movie called Fall, which is is out now, but it's about uh, two rock climbers. And that movie was a ton of fun. We did a lot of high wire work on that. And we had really high winds and really kind of dangerous stuff. But it was also one of my funnest movies just because it was quite bare bones. And I was actually getting to do real practical swinging and flying around. And in today's age where we have so much visual effects, we don't necessarily get to do like the big, really fun action pieces that we got to do 10 years ago. So anytime I get to do stuff like that, I I, I get really excited. Um, there's also some car scenes that we did on Transformers that were some of the scariest things, uh, just because you're really high speed. And if you're not driving, you don't have any control. So you're just hoping that uh, the guy driving is is going to hit all of his marks and not crash into a building or (laughs) flip the car over. You said you had a bad head injury on Transformers. Mm -hmm. What happened? Yeah, I actually had two. One of them was actually in a car. We were doing some rally driving. I was in the back. We did miss our mark a little bit and we were actually supposed to be basically kind of doing these big donuts in a rally car And then we peel off and go straight into an opening of a building. Well, we just were a little bit squirrely coming in. We actually went right into the wall in the car. I hit my head on the roll cage and got a pretty good concussion from that. And then a few weeks later, I was back up and running and uh, was supposed to be jumping off a tow truck the top of a tow truck and grabbing like uh it was supposed to be optimus prime sword so it was about 15 feet off the ground um and i was supposed to basically jump off this tow truck grab the sword with a a tow hook that i had in one hand and then kind of like connect the tow hook and then fly off unfortunately we hadn't rehearsed it really And, um, you know, sometimes things just go wrong. So we were trying to figure out how best they wanted it shot and how the motion was going to go. So in one of the takes, I just, I jumped, I hooked the tow hook, but I peeled right off. So basically I just went flying through the air and I 
missed all the mats we had laid down and landed on my head on the concrete. So I split my head open, had to get uh, six staples, and I had just had a concussion. So adding that concussion on was not really good for my brain at that time. And uh, that was a pretty long cognitive recovery for me. What did that involve? Well, really, I mean, not much. Um, obviously, I had the staples. Those came out within about 10 days. Um, I had quite a few MRIs after that uh, just to try to figure out why I was having so many side effects. Um, I was getting a lot of headaches. I, for a while, was having trouble speaking in the same way. And I guess what I mean by that is after a concussion, if it's bad enough, what I've noticed is that the vocabulary that I'm used to, after that, it was really difficult for me to think of a lot of words and simple words. Like sometimes I would want to say, well, where is that? And I couldn't think of the word where. I would be like, what the heck? What is that word when you want to go somewhere? It's, it's you know, and it's, so it was really difficult for me in that respect. And it's frustrating because there's no one size fits all answer or recovery for anyone that's had, you know, traumatic brain injuries. It's a lot of, okay, well, just try not to expose yourself to too much light. Try not to think too much, try to relax. So the first couple of weeks I did a lot of puzzles and I obviously went back to work and we kind of rearranged some of the work that I was doing. So I actually switched doubling with a different girl. There were two of us that were doubling two different women, but they were the same size and her character had a lot less action than me. So in the first two weeks after my injury, we actually switched so that I would be kind of not really doing much. But then when it got to the point where I was like well enough and didn't have staples, I went back to doubling my same woman. But I mean, after that, also the doctors were like, you really can't get another head injury. So I definitely had to be a lot more mindful of that in the stunt jobs I took after that for probably two or three years, because I just was really worried about getting another head injury. And you've also had head injury as a gymnast, especially from what you've said that you tried to do the most dangerous gymnastic feats. So Mm-hmm. Looking back, how many head injuries do you think you've had? And and when did you actually start thinking about the implications of that with respect to traumatic, you know, the uh, CET, the chronic traumatic mm-hmm. encephalopathy and all of that stuff? Yeah, well, I think it was after this point on Transformers that I really started realizing the dangers of concussions. Concussions, I think, as a whole, I mean, as we know from television and the NFL and everything, they really weren't something anyone really thought about until the last few years. And certainly as a child, you know, I didn't ever think about concussions and certainly got probably hundreds, if not thousands of them. Now that I know what a concussion is, which I don't think I ever really understood how small a concussion could be or how small an injury to your brain could be. So like every time I completely wiped out and hit my head on the ground as a gymnast, or even just times when you over rotate skills, 
and you get like a little bit of whiplash, which was probably every day in gymnastics, that is a really small concussion and those add up over time. And that was just knowledge I never had until really this last big ones on Transformers. So I just didn't have the knowledge to be able to to know that I was hurting my brain in that way. And I do have that knowledge now. So I'm a lot more careful about, you know, wearing helmets when I'm skiing and stuff like that. But it's interesting because, you know, as a as an athlete, as a kid and doing all these different dangerous sports, skiing and ice skating and gymnastics, obviously pole vaulting, biking. I mean, I never wore a helmet doing anything. Now I wouldn't go skiing ever without a helmet. So uh, I have come a long way, I guess, in my uh, brain health journey. Along the the fear caution spectrum as well, mm-hmm. right? You were afraid Absolutely. of a lot of things and then you were completely fearless and now you're being more cautious. And mm-hmm. had you've also kind of started to build a, a parallel career, I guess, around your love of the wilderness, even though you're still working full-time in stunts. Uh, how did that evolve? Yeah, so I also have a YouTube channel and I I love to just make videos about national parks about exploring in the wilderness and really like solo adventures solo hiking solo trekking this summer i went solo hut to hut hiking in the dolomites and did some solo via ferratas and in a lot of these instances i am really scared and i still so i still struggle with that but i guess a a, one thing that i hadn't mentioned really yet was even when I was in college in Arizona and even in Vermont, one of the things that I always wanted to do was be a television host and have a travel show, but I'd never lived in a market where that was a possibility. So when I went and worked on Transformers, I actually was telling the guy that I've now been dating for 10 years, he was on that movie as well. That was when we met. And I said, you know, I've always really just wanted to have my own travel show and I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you meet producers. I don't know how you make a, a pitch deck or any of that. And he said, well, what are you waiting for? If you want to do it, just like go out and start shooting it. And I was like, what? Really? Okay. So he really put the idea in my head of like, okay, it's never going to come to reality if you just sit on your butt and wait for someone to come to you and be like, hey, do you want to be a TV host? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> So he said, all right, let's like plan this adventure after we wrap on this movie and I'm going to help you and we're going to shoot a pilot. And I said, oh my gosh, amazing. And I was terrible as a host back then because I didn't know what I was doing, but we shot a pilot. We went to like a bunch of countries, Cambodia, Australia, Bali, uh, Malaysia, and went into the swimming in the Great Barrier Reef and had a fantastic time. We shot a pilot. We started chopping it in LA when we got back. And basically what I learned through that process was like, no one's going to hire me to host a network television show. when I basically have no experience and am not actively hosting anything. So it was through that, that I decided, okay, well, if I really want people to take me seriously, I need to just start creating a series or creating content all the time. And so that's basically what started my YouTube channel and my YouTube show. 
because I was tired of just waiting around for somebody to give me the green light. It was time to give myself the green light. And uh, yeah, it's been quite a while now, quite a few years. And I've gone to lots of places around the world, gotten to have some really incredible experiences, not only in nature, but with indigenous cultures and wonderful people and wildlife all over the planet. It's pretty awesome. That's great. And by the way, this boyfriend sounds much better than the last few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sure is. <laughs> That's good to see and hear. And this also your journey back to the wilderness has brought you uh, brought you emotionally closer to your dad, right? Who who died, I guess, yeah. eight years ago of a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, my dad really was my my foundation for loving nature and really opened the door for me into experiencing so much of the world through not only my childhood of him actually showing me, but we, (laughs) I feel like every week we would have these like slideshows or he would show me all the different slides of places he had traveled in the world and solo ascended, you know, this mountain or that, or, you know, gone on these expeditions with friends in the snow and lived in a teepee, all these just really cool adventures. And yeah, he unexpectedly passed away. And I really, obviously was pretty shocked by that. And also just really regretted not being able to have any adventures with him in my adult life. And so when he died, I really kind of decided that whatever it was that I wanted to do, whatever it was that I wanted to see or explore or a peak that I wanted to hike out, there there was no more waiting around. Mm -hmm. And for me, like in the mountains is where I feel the closest to my dad. That is so wonderful. For people who are afraid, right? You said anyone can overcome their fears. You've obviously been through a tremendous amount of overcoming of fear and and done some incredibly fearless things. I, and I think you said that you've actually even swum with sharks, you know, mm-hmm. for someone who didn't want fish nibbling her toes. That's <laughs> a pretty, <laughs> pretty remarkable transition, I would say. What would you... What would you advise people, people like myself, you know, who's afraid of a lot of different things, including much of nature? (laughs) I think that one of the best ways to start overcoming your fear is to go and try to experience it with someone else. I think, you know, when I went and swam with sharks, I went with a friend of mine who had already been and it was, I think, the shared camaraderie of doing it together that really forced me into actually taking the jump into the water. If I had gone by myself, I don't know that I would have gotten to that point. I probably would have been like, you know what? Never mind. I see shark fins. We're not even in the water. I'm good. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but because he was there with me, I was able to kind of be like, okay, if you can do it, I can do it. So if you have a friend that is a little bit more experienced or less afraid of whatever it is you're afraid of that can kind of help you in getting your feet wet. Um, I think that's a really good way to start overcoming your fear. And obviously when I swam with sharks, I had, I had spent the four days prior to that actually getting scuba certified. So I 
was feeling pretty comfortable in the water. And so that, that fear had already, okay, cool. I did this. It's like, okay, step one was done. Step two, let's see where we can go. And even this summer, when I went to the Dolanites, I sat at the bottom of this one via Ferrata for two hours because (laughs) I was really scared. Uh, The beginning of the climb basically should have had safety cables and there weren't any and I didn't know where the trail went so I was really afraid to go by myself uh so I waited for a long time eventually someone came and I said hey would you mind if I follow you and they were like yeah absolutely and so that was the courage I needed uh from them to be able to say okay if he can do it I can do it and as long as I have a little of you know courage from a stranger I can I'm still going to be afraid (laughs) still going to be really afraid but I'm not afraid enough that I can't do it that's great advice Alice looking back on your younger self at that young woman who grew up in the wilderness and loved it but was also afraid of it because of her sister's pranks of the gymnast runner diver super athlete who briefly lost her way and found herself in extraordinary danger from a drug cartel. The fearful young adult who grew into a fearless stunt actor has survived numerous head injuries and is wise enough to also create an alternative career path as a wilderness explorer and media personality. What would you say to that young woman about the journey that you've been on? Hmm. I would say, you know, stay, stay true to who you are and to your roots. It's funny that now as an adult, I have really gone back to that you know the childhood loves the the things my dad really instilled in me and uh yeah so i'd say stay true to who you are and and what would you say to your dad the mountain man and fearless adventurer who was your hero with whom you regret not spending enough time and who you're now trying to emulate Mm. thank you (laughs) alice thank you so much for joining me on when it mattered and for trusting me with your story Thank you so much for having me. I hope this can help someone else take a little bit of a step forward in overcoming something they're fearful from. I bet it's going to do just that. Thank you very much. Alice Ford is one of Hollywood's most up-and-coming female leads, working with directors such as Michael Bay in action-packed movies, including Transformers for Age of Extinction. Ford is also producing and starring in an upcoming television series, Alice Ford's World Heritage Adventures. She's starring in her own YouTube channel called Alice's Adventures, where she hosts travel videos from her many adventures around the globe. Ford is also working with a number of tourism boards to make travel videos all around the world. And she has a sustainable travel website that is a marketplace for sustainable tours and hotels around the world. This is When It Mattered. I'm Chitra Raghavan. When It Mattered is a podcast from Good Story, an advisory firm helping technology startups with brand strategy, positioning, and narrative. Our producer is Jeremy Kaur, founder and CEO of Executive Podcasting Solutions, with production assistance from Kate Cruz. Our creative advisor is Adi Weinland, and our research and logistics lead is Sarah Muller. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. And if you like the show, please rate it five stars, leave a review, and do recommend it to your friends, family, and colleagues. 
For questions, comments, and transcripts, please visit our website at goodstory.io or send us an email at podcast at goodstory.io. Join us next week for another episode of When It Mattered. I'll see you then.